God can and wants to and does speak to us often. We can see Him. We can hear Him. We can feel the stirrings in our hearts. We can feel His presence. He wants to feed us, provide for our natural and our supernatural food. He wants to direct and guide our lives. He wants to save us. He wants to bring us into everlasting life. We know this in our heads. But uh, sometimes here from our parishioners up and down my priesthood over the years who come to me and say, I don't hear God. I pray to Him, but I never hear Him respond to me. I cry out to Him, but He never answers my prayers. I look for Him. I don't see Him. I ask for Him to reveal Himself to me, but He doesn't reveal Himself. I try to listen, but I don't hear Him. I ask Him to guide my life, to show me what His plan for is my life. Nothing. So what do we do with that when that happens to us? I think that we, we have our answers in today's readings today. Not just from the gospel, but also our first, our first reading from Exodus chapter 16 and definitely from our gospel, John 6. So now background here is important. Exodus 16, let's jump in. The background is that God has just saved his people in two extraordinary supernatural ways. He has rescued them from the pharaohs of Egypt, from slavery, from the powers that be. And then when they were backed up against the Red Sea and couldn't cross, he parted the sea and allowed them to traveled dry shot across the seabed to the other shore. And on they go then on their way to the land that he promised. And what's mind-bottling is that they have seemed to have gained spiritual amnesia. Because here they are wandering now out in the desert and it's as if they've forgotten what God has done for them as his people. They're out in the desert and they're grumbling because they're hungry. And they said, at least when we were in Egypt, we had the flesh pots. And we had food for our bellies. And it's as if they'd forgotten that they were also slaves to the ways of this world. That they weren't fully alive and free. And so they start to desire again the comforts of this world. And they're willing for the comforts of this world to let go of so much of what God has to offer them. Which is so much more. And brothers and sisters in faith, when we concentrate on just the stuff of this world, we often... Through grumbling, not gratitude, experience spiritual amnesia. It is that constant view through gratitude that in fact helps us 
to see and hear God no matter what we're experiencing. But they turn to grumbling. They want God to answer their prayers to give them the comforts of this world. And God does want to feed us, even naturally, but he wants so much more than what we're willing to settle for. So God hears their prayers. He doesn't, like we often do, when other people, we have to tell them over and over and over again what to do, how to do it, when to do it. We have to remind them, I'm here for you. I'm not going to abandon you. I love you. I will care for you. And we, we throw our hands up in frustration because others don't seem to get it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't throw his hands up in frustration and give up on us. He says, okay, I, I hear you. And I'm going to feed you. In these two ways. I'm going to feed you with flesh in the evenings and with a hoarfrost type of material in the morning that you're going to take and eat like it's bread. I'm going to take care in the morning and the evening. So he takes, he sends quail to them every evening for them to have their fill. And then in the morning, he rains down this hoarfrost type of material with the dew. And he asks them, you know, when the dew evaporates, then take this, this, these tiny particles and knead them into bread-like substance and eat. Have your fill. What's he doing here? He is acting in extraordinary ways, in ordinary ways, and in um, miraculous, supernatural ways and natural ways. And he's feeding his people until they arrive in the promised land. We are told, if we read on in the Exodus experience, that they wander in the desert for 40 years. 40 years. And just like he promised, every day he supplies in a natural way, in a supernatural way, in an ordinary way, in an extraordinary way, for the food for their belly. And it's interesting, when you get to the end of their exodus, when they arrive in the promised land, then the manna and the quail cease to be given. Because now they're in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey was so much more. So what's going on here? Well, the natural and the supernatural. It's interesting that he provides flesh and bread. What does that sound like? What does that sound like? The Eucharist, right? This is a foreshadowing. This is a pro prophetic promise and action. This is a prototype for the Eucharist. When God will take bread and make it into his flesh and feed us not just for our bellies, 
for our journey for this world to provide for our physical needs, but he will take bread and make it into flesh, his flesh, his body, his blood, his soul and divinity, in order to take us through the deserts of this world and to lead us into the promised land, not the holy land, not Israel, not a physical place, but heaven itself. And it's interesting too that we're told in the scriptures that when we get through this world and we die, we will cease receiving the Eucharist. And the reason why is that we've arrived at the Holy Land just like the Jews before us. Forty years is important too. Forty is a significant number, like 40 days in the desert or 40 years in the desert. It means the fullness of time. It also, in a very literal chronological way, at that time meant a lifetime because people didn't live as long as they do now. So what God was saying to his people at that time is that I will take care of you every day of your life until you die. Until you arrive in the promised land. He was preparing his people and he was feeding them every day. And they were journaling through a lifetime until they arrived in the promised land. And all of this, again, is a prototype, albeit imperfect, for the perfect one who is going to come and fulfill the eternal promise. Not just feeding us for a human lifetime, but feeding us for eternity. But here's the deal here's a little wrinkle. Here's what we get at. Why do I not hear God and see God? And, and why do I not feel as if God is answering my prayer and, and guiding me? Why do I feel lost? So on. Do you know the meaning of the word manna? Does anybody know the meaning of the word manna? Go ahead. You forget? Yeah. Bread? Yes. That's what we're used to. Bread. Because of what it looks like and what it does. But the Hebrew word, manna, sounds familiar. It's manu. And when God presents this hoarfrost type of material that just little particles that come down with the dew, the Jews say manu, manna. What is it? The literal translation from Hebrew for the word manna is what is it? They're not familiar with it. And this is interesting too because remember the Jews have been captive in Egypt for 400 years. They're desert people. They know every aspect of the desert and they have never seen this. And that's the point. God is trying to show them, listen, I'm... Yes, I work in ordinary and natural ways, like the quail coming down and, and providing for it. They, they know what quail is. They know how to hunt it. They know how to eat it. But the, this hoarfrost material is unexpected action of God, and they're unfamiliar with it. And what they're asked is, trust when I work in ways that you're not familiar with that you're not looking for, that you're not expecting. Because yes, I can work in natural 
and, and, and I can work in uh, realistic ways. I, but I can also work through the supernatural and the unexpected and the extraordinary. And for 40 years, they had to learn to trust in God. Meaning over a lifetime, they had to learn to trust in God. They asked the question, as we all do, and all should, and all will, what is this? But then, they ate it. They trusted in God. And here's a problem that they run into, and that we run into, is that when we're looking for God, when we're speaking to God, when we're asking of God, when we're, we're wanting to hear Him, when we're, we're expecting Him to answer our prayers, here's how we look at Him. Through a very narrow window or circle. We can call it a hoop. Okay? And we say to God, this is what I want. And this is how I want it. This is when I want it. This is where I want it. We limit God. And we only look for Him to answer in the ways that we expect to see Him to show up and to do for us. Here, God, jump through this hoop. When all around us, all in the periphery around us, God is acting every day and throughout the day, speaking to us volumes. God is showing up. God is revealing Himself. And God is trying to reveal His plan to us. He's trying to feed us. He's trying to protect us. He's trying to lead us. He's trying to save us. But no, we want Him to come through that hoop. And when, and when He doesn't, because He's God, we're not, what do we do? God doesn't hear my prayers. I speak to God. But God never answers me. And then we excuse ourselves from a relationship with God. Because I didn't get from God what I wanted from God. Who's God here? If he's God, we follow him. Not him follow us. But to follow him, the Jews learned in the desert... When they saw something different, God acting in a different way, in an unexpected way, in a way that's unfamiliar, in the peripheries rather than through that little circle, okay, they said, Manu, manna, what is this? And even though it was mysterious to them, they still allowed God to feed them. And then God was able to feed them over a lifetime as they had to continue to trust in God. And by the way, prayer and speaking to God and listening to God, it takes two, it's a dance, it's a partnership, and he's the leader. You cannot dance with two leaders leading. Meaning the Jews, when God provided natural things like the quail every night, they had, guess what, they had to go look for it. They had to go hunt it and cook it. They participated in God providing for their earthly needs. He did it, but they had to partner with him. But then when he did something supernatural and extraordinary, the, what we now call manna, the bread from heaven, they still had to partner with him. 
They had to trust with his unfamiliar ways and allow him to feed them even though they didn't understand it. And that's exactly what happened and they made it into the promised land. And that's what needs to happen with us. And we see this so clearly in today's gospel reading from John 6. It's beginning a series of weeks for us where we're just going to be reading from John chapter 6. It's called the Bread of Life Discourse. And again, the background here is important. The background is Jesus has just done something extraordinary right before this passage. What he's done is this, is that he's out in the desert with the people. He's preaching to them. He's, he's teaching them. He's trying to lead them. He's trying to prepare them for the promised land. And in the midst of this, they are hungry. The disciples, they want to send all the Jews away. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. And here's the reason why. In first century Palestine, one of the signs that the Jews were taught to look for when they looked for the Messiah is that the Messiah would come as a new Moses. And one of the things he would do is give a new law, which he does. He hasn't done that yet here. He gives a new law, and he performs the miracle of the manna again. And so Jesus says, no, no, don't send them off to the, to, to, to the towns. I've been waiting for this desert moment with my people. And he calls up to his Father in heaven to bless a few loaves of bread. And it's the miraculous multiplication of loaves. It's the bread from heaven coming down to feed his people. Now the Jews are looking at Jesus and saying, huh, that's the Messiah. And we know that because the part that we skip here over is that the Jews then want to make Jesus a king, to carry him off to become a king. What? To overthrow the Roman government. Just like the Jews in the Exodus experience they wanted God to help them destroy Egypt and bring a kingdom, an earthly kingdom here now. Now the Jews are doing this again. And Jesus, John tells us, he, he passes through them and he gets on a boat and he goes across to see a Galilee and he goes over to the other side to Capernaum because they're trying to control him. And the way that he knows best to save them, us. And so he flees from that. But they get it. He's the Messiah. But then they don't. And it's like spiritual amnesia all over again because less than 24 hours later, some of that group comes over across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum and some of the leaders encounter Jesus. And guess what they're asking for? A sign. What sign can you give us that you are the new Messiah? That you are who you say you are? And Jesus must have been wanting to pull his hair out. What? I just gave you the sign. And then he says this. 
listen, you're not coming to me for the sign. You're coming from me because I fed you bread. Once again, you're coming to me because you want me to take care of your earthly comforts. I can take care of you in this world while you live here, but that's not why I'm here. I will do it. I will provide for you. You have to trust me, but I want to give you so much more. And then he says to him, you think Moses did this miracle? A bread from heaven? No, my heavenly father did. And if you're looking for something to believe in me, believe in my works. And then he says this. He says, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. I'm the living bread. And whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. What's he talking about? I'm the bread from heaven. Well, we know just a few verses later as we go into John 6... He's talking about the Eucharist. He's talking about himself in the Eucharist. He is that bread that comes down from heaven that is going to become the flesh for the life of the world. And not just to meet our earthly comforts, our wants and our own perceived needs. Perceived needs. He's going to come and bring us the bread of angels. The bread of heaven. The bread that's going to get us to heaven. And just like the Jews in the desert, he's going to ask us to follow him and trust in him. Because there are going to be, just like there was the Jews in the time of the Exodus and the Jews in the time of Jesus, there are going to be challenges for us when we're in the desert. It's dry, it's barren, we're hungry, we're thirsty. And as we walk through this world where we're always in want, why? We're, because the fullness of life isn't available to us in heaven yet. And so we're always in deficit. We're always in want. And as we cry out to God, we also are constantly looking this way and that way for our needs to be met, our perceived needs. And Jesus is saying, I can feed those. And if you follow me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. Meaning, when we get to heaven... We will never hunger again. And we will never thirst again. And all of our needs will be met for eternity. And not just our earthly needs now. All of our needs. But here's the deal. Just like it was for the Jews in Moses' day. When Jesus makes the promise that he's going to feed us, and we know that that's the Eucharist. And we come into a church and the bread and the wine is changing the body and blood of Christ. We have or will at some point in our lives say, Mana, Manu, what is this? Now, maybe not so much all of us all the time. Maybe it's during a desert 
experience. Maybe it's when we're struggling with faith and belief and trust in God that we then question everything, including the reality of the Eucharist. But think about the man or the woman who steps through those doors and comes to a Catholic Mass and has never once been to a Catholic Mass and they see what happens up on this altar. You better believe they're saying, Mana, Manu, what is this? And how we respond to this question, our question, shapes our whole lives. But not just about the Eucharist, but about the whole journey. Because listen, we're never going to fully understand what this is, who this is. But like the Jews in the desert during Moses' time, if we allow God to feed us, as he promises, every day of our lives until our lives end and he no longer will feed us with the Eucharist because we will be in his presence and we will, he will meet all of our needs. But until that day, we have to trust in him just like the Jews during Moses' time as we walk through the deserts of this world. Yes, it's okay to say manu, manna, what is this? But then our other response that follows it I don't need to understand it. I just need to allow you to feed me, Lord. Because if we can do that here, then we can do it here. God has shown up to us in an unexpected way. We see that in John's Gospel. What's going to follow in the next couple of weeks, Jesus says, and I give you my flesh for the life of the world. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall have not have life within you. And some of the Jews, John records, quarreled among themselves and said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And it was too much for them. They tried to understand it and not have faith and trust and believe and do it. And so John records, many of his own disciples left him that day. And so he turns to Peter and his other apostles and he says, will you also leave us? And Peter speaks, we pray God to, for all of us. He says, where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of everlasting life. We have come to believe that you are the son of the living God who has come into the world to save us and we will follow you wherever you go. We don't have to understand you. We have to trust you and follow you. And that's you and I. And if we can do this, then that means that when God shows up in our lives every other day of our lives other than a Sunday, and we're looking for him in the ways that we only look for him, and he shows up on the periphery loud and clear and multiple times a day, we will know. Stop asking God to jump through your, ho your hoops. And look for him in unexpected ways. In unfamiliar ways that you've never experienced him yet. In ways that are mysterious to you. Yes, sometimes that's going to be natural ways. Like he speaks to you through another human person. That he speaks to you through the, um, a book that you're reading. Music that you hear and he speaks to you in that song. Or journaling. And watching how God speaks to you consistently every day in the consistency you know this is his will for your life. 
And he speaks to us, yes, also through prayer and meditation and what uh, St. Ignatian and a lot of the other saints call discernment. And he speaks to us in the big events, in the small events, in the extraordinary ways, in the small ways. Yes, sometimes miraculous and sometimes not. Our God is limitless in the way that he can speak to us and that we can see him. But the deal is, when we say manu, mana, what is this? Well, that's just it. We should say this. What are you doing here, Lord? What are you saying here? What do you want of me? Not do it my way. And then with eyes wide open and the periphery complete, we will see God act in so many ways. As he feeds us day by day, provides for our needs, both physical, relational, spiritual, mental, the whole nine yards. But the other part of this is what we learned from Exodus 16. And what we learned from the Eucharist itself. It's a dance. It's a partnership. And so people gather up wheat and they crush grapes and they make it into wine and bread. We do our part and God does his. He takes something natural and he does something supernatural. He takes our natural lives and abilities and skills and availabilities and yes to him and energy and passion and love and decision and actions that we take. He takes all of that and he adds his supernatural presence to it. And off we go, man. And it's the same with um, not just the Eucharist, but everything in life. We have to be willing to dance with him. We have to be willing to do our part of the prayer. Our openness, our availability, our response, no matter how he answers it. Our willingness to follow, no matter what his words are, no matter what his direction is, no matter how unexpected he shows up or how unfamiliar it is to us, no matter how big it is or how small it is, he does his part, but we have to do our part. And then when we do have this dance and this partnership, and we do allow him to lead, and we stop trying to put him in a, in a little circle and, and, and demand that he jump through a hoop, then that manu, that manna, what is this, will get answered. Oh, it's you, God. It's you speak me through me through this person, through this event through this tragedy, through this suffering, through this great consolation, through this song, through this love, through your word in the scriptures, through this mass in the silence of prayer, and countless other ways our infinite God speaks to us. And then, he will not only feed us and lead us and give us the life we need here in the Eucharist, but every day of our lives flowing from the Eucharist until at the end of our lives he gives us what we promised for, what we looked for, and what we lived for. Him. 
heaven forever. Make no mistakes. Whenever you are struggling and you're thinking God doesn't hear you and answer to you, he does.